Shakeout Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Van Buskirk. Each week, Canadian running staff writer Maddie Kelly and I bring you the news, results, and drama from the exciting world of running. This is The Rundown. Happy International Women's Day, Maddie. Thank you, Kate. The same to you as a fellow woman. How have you spent your IWD 2021? I, it was, it's been a pretty ideal IWD. I, uh, this morning, uh, had a, had a pretty relaxed morning. I, I got out of the house for a bit because, um, Lucia Stafford, who is my roommate currently had an exam to write. Uh, she is still in engineering. People, you know, might see her times and forget about that. So she wrote an exam. So I got, I got out of Dodge to let her do that. And then this afternoon we had a, a very hard workout, but it was perfect conditions and things went quite well. And, uh, and, and now I'm sitting here. Awesome. Have you been able to explore Victoria very much? A little bit. Yeah. We were, we were playing it quite safe for our first week here just because we, couldn't get COVID tests until we'd been here for five days. So we have since had those tests. We got the results back this morning. We're all clear, which is great. Yay. Um, but on Sunday, I met a, uh, a former teammate of mine for a walk and that we got a, we got breakfast sandwiches at a really, really nice like takeout window. And it was such a good breakfast sandwich, like really, really high marks, like thick bacon. Mm. And then we went to Mount Doug and we did, we did a hike up Mount Doug, which was really lovely. Nice. Oh, I'm glad you've been able to enjoy all those outdoor perks of beautiful Victoria. I also, I love me a good breakfast sandwich and I find that they are very hard to come by, at least in the Toronto area. Okay, Kate, I've been talking about this for years. I could see myself owning an exclusively breakfast sandwich and coffee situation one day. You would do very well with that. There, no, there are not enough. Like New York has it down pat, like the bodega, like bacon, egg and cheese. Like I want more of those in the GTA. I want them to be cheap. I want them to be accessible and I want them to be really, really good. And there, I mean, maybe our listeners, if you are actually listeners, wherever in the country you live, this would be a great thing to share because I bet you there are a lot of Sunday long runners who could really go for exactly the kind of breakfast sandwich that you described, Maddie. And I don't know about the rest of Canada, but in the GTA, they're really hard to come by. One place I do love, I will say, is that there is a food truck and it's owned by a man named Tom the Eggman. And that's the name of his food truck as well. And in the summer, on weekends, it parks just around the corner from me. And it is, uh, they do uh, a hash brown poutine. And it's its pretty incredible, in addition to some really good breakfast sandwiches. That but does sound really good. Always on the hunt. Well, um, again, it is International Women's Day. And... And it was neat. I, you know, I've kind of like been reintroducing myself back into social media. I took a quite a long hiatus. I felt like I just needed some distance. I think it's a it's a healthy thing to do every once in a while. Take a little step back from the old 
IG and Twitter, etc. Um, so I did that, but I've been getting back into it and I, my feed was just full of like awesome, inspirational, feel good, badass women today. So that, and guys, actually, I was very impressed with the number of men who also were posting about International Women's Day today. That was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So that was a, yeah, a nice thing to notice, but we're going to spend the first part of this conversation chatting a little bit about some of the great players in the world of running who have sort of impacted us personally and the sport women who have done some pretty awesome things i and i had started to think it would be over the last year but understanding that there have been very few race opportunities over the last year we're gonna we're gonna kick it back a little bit so it'll be like 18 months ish how does that sound i'm i'm on board with 18 months we're now we're now counting it like they count babies' ages exactly this is this is not a year and a half. It's eighteen months. When does it stop being months? Is it two years? Is it twenty four? Yeah, I think it's at it's at two years old. It's at twenty four months that that you're just your year. Because right. I've never heard someone say like my baby is thirty eight months old. I, at some point, it's just hard to calculate. Man, how many months old am I? D- don't do that <laughs> math. <laughs> just definitely don't do it for me. <laughs> No, no, we're not going to get into those stereotypes. I love getting older. It's making me stronger and wiser and better at everything. So, man, I would you couldn't pay me to live in my 21-year-old brain. Well, let's get into this. Um, and I feel like this list could be very long. It is it it is quite long, but we've sort of tried to cap it at some of the more extraordinary performances that we feel have really changed the sporting landscape for Canadian women, like I said, over the last sort of like 14 to 18 months. Maddie, do you want to kick it off? I would love to. We will begin with the Canadian half marathon record, which fell three times in seven weeks. This, uh, this was a very fun saga to follow and also just very cool because each of the three women we're about to talk about have very different backgrounds and were at very different stages in their career. I love stories that exemplify there are so many ways to skin a cat. And these three women really illustrate that well. So Rachel Cliff started this saga by breaking her own half marathon record in December of 2019. She runs just a hair over 110. Natasha Wodak comes back a few weeks later at the Houston Marathon and becomes the first Canadian woman to go sub-70 in the half, a new national record. Then, three days later, Andrea Sakafian runs 109.38 in Japan, just taking a few more seconds off of that mark. And so at the time, Natasha is in her late 30s, like having a very strong track career behind her, and really impressive road results but this was a this was a jump for her for sure. Well, she was known as our 10k our 10,000 meter national record holder. Mm-hmm. And, you know, an Olympian in that distance. I mean multiple national teams, but like that was like her thing. Like yeah, she'd run some good 5000s. Like you said she had dabbled on the roads, but like she was our 10,000 meter gal. Like that's who she was. And then Rachel Cliff had just had her sort of marathon, half marathon tear, where she was really dominant in both of those distances for a couple years and is in her 20s, late 20s, early 30s. And then Andrea, the youngest of the bunch, really quite new to the roads and obviously showing enormous potential there. So three women with three different event backgrounds at three different stages in their career 
who all ran, you know, give or take a few seconds, the same time, a few weeks apart in three different locations. And like, we, we've talked a lot about how much the women's marathon record has dropped over the last eight years now, because it was 2013 that Lanny first broke it. Lanny and Krista both went under that old national record, which had stood for almost 40 years. So we saw this go, we saw the record go down multiple times after it wasn't broken for multiple decades. And so again, like you expect to see big jumps in other events, but for the half marathon record to go down three times in seven weeks, that's, that's pretty stellar stuff. Speaking of amazing things that happened right at the beginning of 2020, and also speaking of the marathon, of course, we can't have this conversation without talking about Ms. Melindy Elmore setting our national marathon record, running 2.24.50, also, also at that 2020 Houston Marathon. Maddie, where were you when you watched that race? I had just moved to Hamilton. I was in my new house there. I was sitting on our couch by the window and I was so excited. That is one of the, there are two days of work that really stick out in my mind. Actually, there are three. One was um, my first covering Scotia for the first time when Cam set the record. Mm. Um, Another big day of work was Ineos 159 attend a wedding in the evening, the next morning, wake up to watch the Chicago marathon when Bridget Cosguy runs the world record. That was a big weekend of work no and very exciting. And I think I had like five hours sleep in 48 hours. And then there was Melindy running the national record. And those are probably the three, the three days of writing about running that are most fresh in my mind as days. I was so amped to be getting to tell these stories. Those are good ones. Those are really good memories. I like that. Those will stick with you for a long time, I think. Oh, for sure. And uh, all of them involve early mornings and really, really impressive stories of underdogs. Totally. Sorry, Elliot Kipchoge was not an underdog, but no one thought Bridget Cosguy was going to run that fast. Everyone thought she was out of her mind. People did not anticipate Cam breaking the record on that day. You know, it had been touted as a possibility, but I don't think people knew um, how well it was going to go. And being on the ground was so exciting. And Melindy shatters the record. And I just, I just like her story so much. It is so cool. Uh, It has been so cool to follow her progression and just such a nice reminder that life has so many phases and stages. And just because, you know, a door didn't open for you at a certain place in time doesn't mean it won't down the road. Beautifully said. Watching Melindy's race was really special for me because I was actually in Flagstaff, Arizona at, at that point last year. And so I was watching it. And the thing is, like, all obviously, like in the States, all of the storylines were leading up to the fact that the U.S. Olympic trials were like, what, five weeks after that? They, they were just about to happen. And I was actually training with a bunch of gals, including Molly Seidel, who were preparing for that race. So again, speaking of underdogs, like, you know, and and not to knock them, I get it. They're really, they have a lot of their own citizens to cheer for. But the average American knowledge of Canadian running is not perhaps as robust as ours is of them. So, and especially because Melindy, this was only her second ever marathon. She was unsponsored. She hadn't been on the scene in years. No one really knew about her. 
And of course, we knew that she was going after this. We need to watch her and get excited. But it was really cool because I remember after watching her cross the line and being so excited, I went out for a workout later that afternoon in Flagstaff. And I had so many Americans come up to me and be like, that's so cool that, you know, your girl Melindy broke the Canadian record. And there was like a real excitement about it. And so I think that like her story sort of resonated with people across the border as well. Um, partly because the background is just so unprecedented and so inspiring. Sticking on the marathon theme and moving back to a woman we've already talked about, I got to say the next really exciting thing for me, of course, there were very few kind of like there were very few track races throughout last summer. So there were, of course, great performances by a number of our female national record holders in races they could get into. But I would say the next big highlight for me was December of 2020, just a few months ago, watching Natasha Wodak run 226.19 at the Marathon Project, running the second fastest marathon of all time in Canada. And it was only her second ever marathon. And really, I would say like her first real attempt at it because it had been what, Maddie, nine years since she had run her first one at Scotiabank and it was like a 235 or something. Yeah. she's And she said that everything in this lead up was different to that one too. Like this this was her first like proper build for a marathon. Right. And it definitely paid off. That was, and unfortunately we didn't get to actually watch too much of it because again, a lot of the coverage was on the Americans, but it was fun to watch her kind of pop in and out of the screen a little bit. And then always a blast to like watch the live results as they come in and, and see that she had run this incredible time. Um, and Sarah, Sarah Hall was worth watching on that day too. You know, the second fastest American time ever. And Man, talk about a gritty woman. No kidding. And that kind of leads us into 2021. Where Julianne Staley broke the Canadian two-mile indoor record, running 922. And truthfully, the two-mile is not something that's run very often. I actually think the most impressive part of her run was that she was one second off of the 3K national record, which has been quite competitive, and kept going for a little over 200 meters. So... Big, big kudos, Julianne. And she's just, she's another very hard worker. Julianne has always been good, but I think we're finally seeing her reach a level where she is great. And that's exciting to see. Well said. And of course, we've got to give a shout out to your training partner and teammate, Lucia Stafford. And you, I mean, you guys put on that great little series of indoor races um, over the last couple of months at York University. And to watch Lou run the second fastest 1500 meter indoor time ever and to be only one second off of olympic standard in what was i know you paced her you did a great job but it was essentially a solo race yeah solo race york university nary a spectator nary a spec well there were lots of us in the live feed but i know what you're saying different yeah. different environment Well, and I think that that leads us well, Maddie, into probably what are some of the best highlights sort of more globally that we've seen, some of the changes that we've seen within our sport over the last two years, I'd say, that have made a difference in the fight for gender equality and to make women's sport not only more accessible and inclusive, but also just to make sure that things like sports science are very specific to women. Um, and not sort of like just using the template of men's science and going off of that. So maybe we should cover some of the the things that really stand out for us, starting with that very topic, the number of scientific studies and the amount of 
research being poured into women's specific health issues? Through sort of like the evolution of my running career, I remember not that long ago, I was in university, um, an older an older competitor of mine asking me, you know, like, what do you, what do you use for birth control and how is it? And like, it was a group of us running and a few others chimed in and realizing that like, it wasn't, it wasn't going to be someone on a team who told you how to do this. This was going to be crowdsourcing among your female athletic friends and competitors. And that's a lovely way to build community. However, it's not necessarily the best way to you to get medical advice for you to get medical advice. Cause I was like 21 and super duper, not a doctor, but the, yeah, at that time it kind of hit me of like, Oh, whoa, why? Like I should not be an authority on this. I'm not an authority on this. Um, and it, it is pretty recent that meta analyses on menstruation and birth control as it pertains to sports medicine and sports science have become more common. And I think that it's amazing that this is a field of research that's really being championed by a few, uh, a few scientists in North America. And I think it is super important. And I think that, you know, pushing research like this forward will only help women in sport and also just like normalize conversations like this. So they're not just things that you have cooling down with your friends. They're things that are part of your holistic health and they're things that you ask, you know, your your coaches or sports staff on your teams about. Because, you know, it's not it's not a hush hush thing. It's something your body does and it's and it's something that can affect performance and it needs to be talked about. Hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. And I think what you said there about it just kind of normalizing it more broadly is key. Because for me, at least, I think like understanding the science of like why I might feel crappy sort of inexplicably at certain points in my cycle um, versus others is really helpful. But it's also really helpful for me to just and I understand that this is like individual for every, you know, every single athlete and their coaching staff and whatever. So I, I respect that. But for me to be able to say to my male coach you know, coach, I, I'm feeling a bit off today because I've just started my period. I've got some bad cramping and, you know, we might have to adjust the workout as a result. What athlete would hesitate to say that if you had a tweaked hamstring or any other sort of physical issue going on? But we're so it, it's it, it it has it's still in some capacities is quite a taboo thing to say out loud. And to me, it's kind of like the verbal equivalent to like putting the tampon up your sleeve and passing it to a girlfriend in the hall on the way to the bathroom in high school, you know, where it's like, don't, don't let anyone see it. <laughs> I know. And I had a classmate in high school and I remember thinking like, we weren't, we weren't good friends, but I just know she had a clear pencil case and she had a bunch of tampons in her clear pencil case and it was just sitting on her desk. And I remember thinking baller move, <laughs> like in grade 11, that made an impression on me of like, that's cool. Right. I don't, I don't need to like shrink my shoulders and, you know, be embarrassed that I have to go to the bathroom in the middle of class. And that's why. Right. Um, so yeah, li little things that stick with you. And it's stuff like that, where again, like that's uncomfortable for the individual girl, but it's also just like, it does a disservice to our sport if we're constantly trying to hide this very natural thing that happens to 50% of our population every month. 
or happens to most of that population every month. And so, yeah, I think it's from even from like a bottom line perspective, when you're talking about global sport, it is absolutely worth investing both like time and money into the research, but also effort into the conversation to make sure that starting at a very young age, girls moving up through the different stages of their you know development and career can feel that this is something that is not taboo, can be talked about openly and can be dealt with in a way that makes sense for them. On that note, Maddie, you published another story uh, almost exactly a year ago entitled Why Sports Medicine Research Needs More Women. Would you like to elaborate on that story? Because I think it kind of follows what we've just been talking about. 100%. So a lot of sports research is done on men and sort of extrapolated from men to women, the findings are. And this is changing and there's a greater emphasis now on um, not just using women to study women's issues specifically, but using women to study, you know, physiological issues broadly. And for a long time, it was thought that it was more difficult to study women because we do have cycles and higher hormonal fluctuation than our male counterparts do. So there is a little bit more to control for. However, there's a big push to change that. Um, there are There's a push for more female researchers. There's a push for more female subjects. Uh, there's a push to look at more women's issues. And I think that we will see that pay dividends in 10, 15 years when we just have a way better understanding of the female body than we do right now. And of course, like one of those topics that has been studied increasingly um, around sport and I think particular of particular interest for female researchers and certainly athletes is the concept of pregnancy. And so, Maddie, like when we talk about some of our sporting heroes who are, you know, in their later 30s into their 40s, I mean, we can point to so many of our top women right now, like Melindy, like several others who are having these incredible performances in their mid to late 30s and into their 40s. One of the big conversations there, of course, is around coming back from pregnancy and childbirth. And I hope you don't mind me saying this, but we were chatting off the air earlier and you were saying like one of the things that you thought about in terms of your career length when you were a kid was, well, it just makes sense that eventually I'll want to have a baby. And after that, I'll just be done because that was sort of the norm. Like you really didn't see, I think when we were growing up, you didn't see that many of our female sporting heroes coming back from pregnancy and childbirth. And of course, that's something we're seeing more and more. And that's another conversation that has become a lot less taboo. I'm impressed by the, you know, the, the openness to talk about things like pelvic floor health and how to strengthen different parts of your body after giving birth in whichever way you did that to make sure that you can safely and quickly and, you know, in a way that's healthy, come back from that experience and in many ways be even stronger as a result. 100%. I I really did feel when I was like not that long ago even, you know, in in university I was like, "Oh, well, you know, you you do your running and then you have your kids and then it's over." And I have that notion has been proven wrong over and over and over and over and over again. And I love that. And it also it it just makes me so hopeful that like you don't become a mom and then the rest of you dies. You know, like that, that doesn't become the only title you hold anymore. And that's such an archaic idea. 
because uh, I grew up with a mom who held like a billion and one titles. And I hope to be that same kind of person. But I think in sport, there was that notion that you, you can't, you couldn't have it, quote unquote, have it all. Um, but I think now we're seeing when you have the scaffolding to back you, you are able to do exactly what you want. Well said. And I love that term scaffolding because one of the big pillars there is finance. So, you know, kudos to people who led this movement like Alicia Montano, Alison Felix, and Kara Goucher. I'd say those are the three sort of most well-known American names in this fight for more protection and support of female athletes once they get pregnant. So I'll throw Lauren Fleshman in there too. Thank you. Lauren Fleshman for sure was a big part of that conversation as well. And honestly, it made a difference. You know, it was what, not even two years ago, a year and a half ago, that Nike and several other companies as a result changed their pregnancy policies in their contracts with athletes, stating that they could not have performance-related pay reductions for 18 months, dating back one month into an athlete's pregnancy. Um, And that's huge because I think that was one of the biggest reasons that women decided not to pursue athletics after they had a child. I mean, that's already a very expensive undertaking. And then to have your contract cut, not only is a financial hit, but it also kind of signals from your company that you're sponsored by that they don't have faith that you're going to be able to keep doing this thing. Well, it was just kind of like a non-starter because it was even, it wasn't even acknowledged as pregnancy. It was acknowledged as an injury. Um, in many cases, like that was, that was the word that was used. Like you didn't take a year off to have a baby in the eyes of your contract. You took a year off because you were injured. And those are two completely different things. And on that note, I should say that Athletics Canada actually made some changes to their carding policy as well as a result of this. And again, if we're throwing out names, I'm going to give big kudos to Hillary Stellingworth because she was a very strong advocate for this cause. Um, and again, it, it, it paid dividends. It, it made a change. So it used to be that basically as an Athletics Canada carded athlete, you could get up to one what's, what was called an injury card per career. So at one point in your career, you could have a show-stopping injury. And as long as you had performed well leading into that, did everything right to rehab it, you could still maintain the same financial support of your carding throughout that injury. But for the longest time, to your point, pregnancy was considered an injury. So women could either get pregnant or get injured once in their career and be financially supported. And both you always get to pick, right? You know, right. you get to you get to pick the timing of those things a hundred percent of the time. Absolutely, so that's, yeah, 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 yeah. It's all balls in your court. Like, oh, I'm planning to have a kid. I guess I shouldn't get injured. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Or oh, shit, I'm pregnant. Right. That wasn't the plan. That happens totally. Yeah. No, definitely. There are many different scenarios here, but um, it has now been changed so that uh, female athletes are allowed to have two health cards throughout their careers, one for injury and one for pregnancy, which leads us, and we won't get in too much into this conversation, but one other thing we did chat about, Maddie, was I think the next step in this whole, in terms of like how we would progress with this, would be to have some paternity coverage as well. Because although women's bodies are the ones that take, do the brunt of the work around, you know, creating and giving birth to a child, 
of course, there is often um, a partner involved and having, um, and I, you know what, I'll extend it even from paternity to just partner support. If both partners are in sport, which many couples are, it is obviously just as financially taxing and very tiring to bring a baby into the world and try to keep competing and training at a high level. So hopefully we'll see some changes with that down the road. And then the last thing I think we want to cover, Maddie, is just, you know, increased awareness and commitment to some safe sport initiatives. Obviously, this last sort of year and a half was the year of Mary Kane and Megan Brown and many other incredibly courageous women who came forward to openly tell their stories of maltreatment. And it's also resulted in a lot of, you know, policy change, increased awareness, uh, education, which are all things we want to really see happen at all sporting levels. I guess, yeah, a lot of, not that safe sport got swept under the rug intentionally, but I would say that there was a lot of news that came out about several Canadian coaches just before COVID hit. Mm -hmm. And those of us, you know, in the track world didn't forget about what happened. But I do think that there will almost need to be a bit more pressure put on certain organizations to reinitiate those efforts because, and listen, I get it, COVID sent every industry and every person into a bit of a, a spiral. But I think that the gravity of some of those situations was lost because the world entered a pandemic a few weeks later. Um, and I really hope that the governing bodies in Canada, uh, you know, Athletics Canada and some of the universities involved take a continue to take a good hard look at their policies and ensure that, you know, things like this don't happen again. Absolutely. And I will just say, you know, there have been some really good um, I think I think those initiatives have been started. Of course, they'll need to be continually reinvigorated and committed to. But this year, for instance, Athletics Canada did start did start a safe and equitable sport committee um, where we meet monthly to discuss these very topics and ways that we can make sure that we're creating a, a safer and more equitable landscape. So I am hopeful. I think we need to keep the pressure on, though, and make sure that everyone's continuing to do the work after it stops being as uh, top of mind as top of mind. So on the note of like organizations making some moves. World Athletics announced today that it has launched its hashtag We Grow Athletics campaign in honor of International Women's Day. And essentially, they've listed three core pillars that they're committing to that will help further the push for gender equality across the world in the sport of track and field and road running. So these, these pillars are empowering women to pursue leadership positions, giving women a platform to speak and fighting online abuse and breaking traditions in world athletics competition. So these are kind of broad strokes, but I read through it. I don't know how closely you read this, Maddie, but it sounds like they've they've identified some gaps and some things that they really want to do differently because track, like so many elements of our society, is so rooted in patriarchy and in sort of a male-focused approach that, uh, you know, just things like not prioritizing the men's events over the women's and making them like the premier event just because they happen to be the men. Um, kind of balancing that out a little more in terms of like exposure and TV time and award ceremonies. I know another big thing that they've committed to is working towards gender parity in the World Athletics Administration. They want to have equal men and women represented at the top. However, they haven't set, as far as I can see, a clear date for when this goal will be achieved. So again, we got to keep pushing them to make sure that they actually follow through with some of these some of these initiatives. All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, there's an indoor 
Area Championship over the weekend. The European Indoor Championships took place and drama. Jakob Ingebrigtsen wins the 1500 meter in a pretty, pretty stellar race. Yeah, no, he was DQ'd in the 15. What was he DQ'd for? I didn't see anything sus. So he stepped off the track onto the inside, but it's because he was pushed. So upon, mm. so this is one of these kind. Of, so first of all, I'll I'll just say, indoors totally different ball game than outdoors. Obviously, the track is half the distance. You have just as many men or just as many athletes competing. It gets real bumpy, real tactical. It's banked. So it's your likelihood of falling over are even greater. Like the indoor 600 meter feels like uh, a roller derby. I've never done a roller derby on skates, but I don't think I need to because I've run an indoor 600. It is tight. So line infractions Outdoors, very rare. Mm -hmm. But indoors, they, they, they can't happen. They happen frequently, I would say, especially on the fastest tracks, which are almost a full circle, right? Because you're constantly turning. Yeah, I was going to say, you're always turning a little bit. Right. And replace, you know, wheels on the bottom of your feet with sharp spikes that can easily get tripped up with people. Anyway, that's pretty much what happened. Jakob is known for his very physical, aggressive racing style. This is not the first time he's been either called out or DQ'd for, you know, getting up in someone's face a little bit with his uh, his tactics. However, yes, Maddie, as you were saying, he was DQ'd for stepping inside the track. You're not allowed to step inside the rail. You have to, because then you're technically running a shorter distance. You have to run on the outside of the rail the whole time. He was DQ'd after winning the race and then reinstated less than an hour later after his team launched an appeal, which he won because it was proven that he was jostled, which led to this step outside the line. Ah, the jostler was jostled. The jostler was jostled, and yet he reigned supreme. He became the first man to win the 15, and, sorry, 15 3,000 meter double at the European Indoor Championships. Congratulations, Jakob, on a very strong weekend of racing. Okay, so that was really our only major indoor result to cover uh, of the last week. However, there was yet another very fast outdoor meet. So the sound running invite took place in SoCal, Southern California. And I would say that the standout races of the evening were the men's and women's 5,000 meters. So American Emily Sisson ran 14.55 for the win. Super strong race, incredibly fast last lap. She looked so smooth the whole way. And this was like the standout. This was probably the fastest 5,000 on American soil, honestly, that I can remember because top three women all went under 15 minutes, which is ridiculously fast for context. The Olympic standard is 15.10, and that's already a very fast standard. Five women in total went under that Olympic standard. Like I said, the top three all breaking the 15-minute mark, which is like a magical barrier in the world of distance track racing. So kudos to all of those competitors. And then like 10 minutes later in the men's race, five men in that event also went under the Olympic standard of 13, 13.5. So all in all, a pretty good day at the track. Very cool. I'm a big Emily Sisson fan. I just think she seems like a nice person. I get the sense that Emily Sisson and Elle Purrier are kind of similar in like being hardworking, down to earth. I don't know. There's just something about the way they present themselves that just seems like no nonsense, like 
nice people, but get the job done kind of, kind of athletes. Yeah. I was just going to say like new balance women who, who just don't talk about it that much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I really, I really, I'm a big fan of both of those, both of those gals. So kudos, Emily, on your victory over the weekend. And back to Canada. We have a new world record. Not we, we have set a new world record for the fastest half marathon on ice or snow. Talk about lemonade from lemons. Quebec runner Kareem El Hayani ran a 140.49, breaking the previous record by five minutes. He ran loops of a 1300 meter circuit around a lake and said the recent deep freeze made the snow unrunnable, so he ran on the icy lake instead. Honestly, you don't want to end up with cold and cut feet, so that makes sense to me. Choose the smoother surface. They're both going to be cold. Why not? Exactly. This is the second time this world record has gone down this year with Norwegian YouTuber Jonas Svaldred running 144.58 last month. Honestly, if we're competing with the Norwegians at winter events, that's keeping good company. We're, we're doing okay. I think this is such a fun record. And we again, we talked about it. We covered it when it was broken in January by uh, this Norwegian YouTuber. And before that, I, I know we had covered or we had discussed the fact that Wim Hof held the old record at like two hours and 15 minutes. I mean, it was significantly slower than this. Um, and then it, it kind of hadn't been touched for years. And just given the state of the world right now, I'm not surprised that some of these sort of like funkier, less possibly less attempted records have gone down. And, you know, it kind of makes sense to me that a Canadian would hold this one. So I'm quite happy about this. Although I should say, I do believe that he is actually a Spanish runner. He is from Spain. He calls Quebec home at the moment and did run it on Canadian soil. So we'll call it a world record set on Canadian soil as opposed to a Canadian owning a world record. Kate, what are you looking forward to this week? Well, Maddie, I know that you are in um, the the land of beautiful weather, given that it is early March in Canada. However, I'm going to make you jealous and say that uh, Toronto is going to be 14 degrees and partly sunny on Wednesday. So I am very much looking forward to running probably in shorts, definitely in a short sleeve shirt and 100 percent without 17 layers, two buffs and three pairs of mitts. That's really, I mean, I don't need much more than that. I'm very much looking forward to that. No, I can, as someone who got to run and, you know, probably what was like about that temperature on the track, my car said 12, but you know, tracks are hot. Yeah. Um, It felt good. I have a little sunburn. Uh, (sighs) So I hope that you get sunburned too. Thank you. Thank you for wishing that for me. Um, I think you probably have a couple things to look forward to. The first is that you have a, a race coming up. I will be racing a 1000 meter. I don't know what day. I don't know what time we've been given a window of opportunity. And then we're just going to like literally find the hour with the best weather and do it. So it'll be sometime this weekend, right? Some, yeah. Between Friday and Sunday. And, um, I think it is going to go a lot better than my last one. K. And I feel very calm, but excited. (laughs) You've, you learned some lessons from that one. I think there will probably be no frozen gas caps, no stealing of gas, no pouring of coffee on gas caps, no police pullovers, hopefully. Okay, you're already setting yourself up for so much more success. And what else are you looking forward to? 
we're going to go on probably a couple, a couple little hikes. We, uh, we want to save some of the more, uh, rigorous hikes for post race, but you know, we'll, we'll do some, uh, some, some slightly easier ones this week because, you know, you're only in the, you only get to travel so often these days and you gotta, you gotta get out there and see the world because one day you're going to end up in your house and they're going to tell you you can't leave. So that's what I've learned from the pandemic. I don't, I don't know about you, but I find I'm a big fan of the like replace a second run with just some exercise. So I know that as a mid-distance runner, you probably don't do as many double days as as some of the longer distance folks might. But, you know, sometimes I'll have like a workout in the morning and then I'll have like, you know, a 25-minute easy run planned for the afternoon. And I think if I were in Victoria, I would totally replace that second run with a light hike. I think there's a lot of benefit to just like getting out, moving your body, low impact, but getting the blood flowing. We have a lovely but very hilly trail system right behind our house. So that's we, that's what we've been doing. We've been going on, um, Lucy and I go on a little evening walk together. That's so lovely. Mm-hmm. Well, enjoy that. We will make sure that we uh, post on the ShakeOut podcast social media about when you're racing and how folks may be able to follow along. Do you know if there will be a live stream of this race? I, I don't know anything. Okay. Um, I am very much um, not involved in the decision-making process. I am a guest at best. So I will let you know when I know. Please do. That is very exciting. Well, good luck to you and Thank Lucia you. and everyone who's racing. I know it'll be kind of a who's who of, of our Canadian women's mid-distance categories. Mm-hmm. Um, but enjoy. So lucky to be running outdoors. Can't wait to, can't wait to hear how it goes. You enjoy your sunshine as well. Oh, I will. For The Rundown, I'm Kate. And I'm Maddie. And we will be back next week with more. 